episode 26, featuring Ed Schrader's music. Let's go in. Tight Zone World. We're back. This is another episode done in conjunction with SpliceToday.com. Real happy to have Ed Schrader's music beat in effect, meaning Ed Schrader and Devlin Rice. I had Devlin kind of chill in the background and then join the conversation once we start talking about the band. And I think it worked out well, but I want to make sure to have him back and get his full story sometime. Two announcements before we begin. Um, if you're hearing this on Monday, the 26th or later, check out Stereogum.com to stream my new album, Talk Singer. Uh, I'm very proud of it, and I hope you guys give it a listen. The release show is going down this Saturday at Wind Up Space in Baltimore with Bookhouse and Gavin Riley Smoke Machine. I'm real psyched about it. Hope you make it out. This was recorded at Lineup Room, a recording and mixing studio located in Baltimore, Maryland. Check them out at lineuproom.com. The art, as always, is by Mike Riley. Check him out at MikeRileyComics.com. Let's do it. Oh, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, hi, I'm Ed. Uh, welcome to Heights Zone World Podcast. And the original, uh, yeah, the place that I'm from uh, is a place called New Hartford, New York. It's a suburb of Utica, New York. And I grew up there. I uh, was born in 79. And I kind of started doing music in a weird way where I was, um, I used to go to these, like, church basement kind of gigs and it would be bands like covering Nirvana and Pearl Jam and one night they, they asked me to get up there and sing This Is How We Do It by Montel Jordan um, This is how we do it you know and like so I did it and uh, one of the dudes in the audience was in this band called Astro Smash that was like an REM Smashing Pumpkins like Nirvana cover band they're like hey man you got a great voice we could use you but then I'd start going to the band practices and I wanted to cover like a Hootie and the Blowfish song and they weren't down with it and then I was trying to do dance moves and they were clowning on me you know so then I, we had like 38 practices and no shows. Kind of. That was my first band, though. Astro Smash, you know, uh, you know Smashy Pumpkins cover band. Pretty yeah. Much, you know? But that's, that's, where I, that's where I started. But, you know, it's kind of like the thing that got me into music. I'd say, like, I remember my mo- most vivid memories. I remember seeing, like, Bruce Springsteen. It was like Live Aid or something. You know, and it was just like, we got to come together, save the children. You know, I was like, oh, yeah, it's cool, man. And, um, and then the other thing that I remember, and, and, and like, I would go around doing these like Bruce Springsteen imitations for my family and stuff. And they got a big kick out of it. And I just remember just the feeling of that and kind of like, you know, that immediate kind of uh, gratification of doing something like a call and response and having a reaction. Yeah. And then, but my mom, the other, the other time that was like my first key, you know, music moment that got me in the zone was like, <clears throat> my mom took us to Chuck E. Cheese. It was my sister's birthday and there was, and my birthday cause we're twins. There's another thing. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I got a twin sister. She doesn't look like me, though. Surprise. Fraternal separate eggs. But yeah. um, but still the same amount of fun. Ooh, no. Just, just, <laughs> but anyways, um, so we saw this Michael Jackson impersonator, and uh, I thought it was Michael Jackson, like, up until, like, honestly, like, five years ago. It was just, you know, because the dude, <laughs> yeah, the dude yeah. just had the moves, man. He was yeah. so good. And I was like, I want to do that, you know, and that's kind of what kicked it off. Mm. 
this seeing this superstar kind of yeah game. i mean you know if you're five and you th- you thought you just saw michael jackson like it's a pretty big moment yeah yeah that's yeah. like it was cool he was doing the moonwalk he had the glove it was nice in utica like what was the main stuff that you were like listening to uh well what was going on in utica when i was listening to were two very different things um Essentially, Utica, at that time, there was a lot of jam bands. You know, the band Mo is from there. It's oh, yeah. kind of sounds like Fish, you know? Yeah. Speaking of which, Train Astatio is going to be singing for the Grateful Dead pretty soon. Everyone, get ready. Wait, really? Yeah, I guess I, I just heard, got this tip last night from someone. He's going to be going to be filling in on vocals there for uh, uh, Jerry. Jerry Garcia. It was Jerry Garcia died. In a, so he's, in a permanent way? I, I think just for like a tour. They're going to check it out, see how it is. And I'm huh. going to be there juggling and selling shirts. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um... But anyways, what was I talking about? Uh, like, like what was going on in Utica? Oh, Utica, what, yeah. So Utica, Utica, yeah. It was like a jam band scene. You know, we had like bands like Mo and like kind of jam band type stuff. So there, there was that, and then there was kind of like this weird kind of vague punk thing where like a dude would buy a Misfits record and then start a band, and then somebody would like start a Sublime cover band, and then they they would get in like a fight, and then they would form a band, and then it would just be like a weird new metal. But, you know, it was yeah. just like a lot of weird, like, tough guy stuff, like, don't act too weird kind of music. And then, then I came along. But, um, no, and then I was, uh, at that time, I guess I was listening to Elton John, uh, Billy Joel, and uh, Los Lobos, you know, that's another thing. Mm. And uh, some Enya was in the mix there, R.E.M., Robert Miles. And, you know, I guess I was just kind of listening to different stuff than what was, like, cool at the time so i yeah. guess my perception was different you know and uh and i i really didn't do the weird stuff that i do now until like i moved to baltimore prior to that i was in a bunch of bands where i wanted to try to be like the next rem or like the next modest mouse or mm. something i didn't really get weird until i met like dan and the wham city people and they introduced me to like you know different music like nick cave or joy division and uh birthday party stuff like that it, you, you know or like um Flipper, <clears throat> the frogs, yeah. all kinds of just cool stuff, you know, and, and I wasn't exposed. I didn't have that art damage having come from upstate New York. Um, we didn't, you know, because there's not a lot of exposure to culture. There's not a lot of different things happening. It's kind of like essentially like you play the stuff that's on the radio or people won't come to your shows. Whereas when I moved to Baltimore, it was the opposite. Like if you played a cover, people would be like, what? What are you doing? You know, no, please. We want to hear yeah. your weird thing, man. You know, like. Twig wants to hear your thing, you know, Carly and Dan, like, they want you to be yourself, you know, and just be this, be a firework like Katy Perry talks about. You know, it's beautiful. <laughs> so, okay, so at the time, the bands you were in, it was, like, primarily covers? Yeah, I mean, it was essentially, like, you know, the Smashing Pumpkins cover band, Astro Smash. We'd have, like, ten Smashing Pumpkins covers, and then we'd have, like, one original that sounded like a Smashing Pumpkins song that we just played. Yeah. You know, like, the same chords minus, like, one note or something. Right, <laughs> right. And then... uh but I, I I did a pretty mean Billy Corgan, you know, too. <laughs> yeah, but, it, you know, you know, Cherub Rock. Doesn't matter what you believe in, you know. Hoping, yeah, but and, uh, anyways, but yeah, yeah, so that's that's what I was doing at that time. Yeah, and what, what was, like, I don't know exactly how to say this, but what was your life like at the time in Utica? It was kind of nuts, you know. Um, I was, uh, geez, you know, like, this is like 16, 17. My yeah. room was in the basement, um, which was actually kind of cool because when everybody went to bed, I could just kind of chill and do what I wanted. So I would like steal my stepdad's cigarettes and cut the filters off and smoke. And then I'd always have like a bottle of like cheap table wine or something. I'd be sitting down there listening to the cranberries, you know, <laughs> but, and, but I didn't smoke weed. I didn't do that till I was like in my late twenties. Mm. Uh, for some reason, yeah, I didn't get on that train for a while, but yeah, no, I would just kind of chill down there and I'd pop on tunes. And then I bought myself a super Nintendo from working in a deli. 
and I saved up some money and, but my parents weren't down with me doing video games and stuff. So I'd wait till they went to bed and I'd take out the Super Nintendo that I bought, Yeah, you know, and I would play Zelda. Right. Yeah. That was back when the Super Nintendo came with the Zelda, remember? And like, cause you've mentioned a lot of times meeting Dan and all them was like crucial for you. Like, like uh, totally. how did you meet Dan? Well, I met, uh, <clears throat> I met those guys at SUNY Purchase. Uh, when I went there, I was a transfer student, and I didn't know anybody. It seemed like everybody at Purchase kind of knew each other, or they were from, like, similar crews or backgrounds. Yeah. There was, like, a connection, you know, but I didn't have any connection with anyone there. I knew no one. And I was a dude, you know, I was listening to, like, you know, the Void Voids and, like, television, stuff like that. And, uh, you know, like, Bowie, not, Bo- not even Bowie yet at that time, actually, but... Mm. I was, you know, into, like, more kind of uh, punk stuff and this and that. Yeah. You know, and these guys were listening to, like, all these new bands i never heard of, you know, like uh, like Hot Snakes, this one, that one, you know, check out this band Lightning Bolt. But I um, I would always sit by myself because I didn't know anybody and uh, yeah. I, I didn't have any homies. And um, one day uh, there was this guy. He's like, hey, man, I, I always noticed you're sitting by yourself. Why, you know, you'd, you'd sit with us anytime we're in here, man. Just, you know, just chill with us. And it was yeah. Dan and Dina. And I was like, oh, that's nice. And then they invited me to an office party that night, but it was like a, a fake office party. So everybody like <laughs> pretended like, well, we closed the Henderson account. But it was weird for me because I had actually worked in an office at that point because I was like, you know, 40 or something. No, I was like 20. <laughs> I was like 23, you know. But it was my first time kind of interfacing with irony and be like, oh, this is what irony is. Like, this is this whole world where people do this. I'm like, this is kind of cool. All right. I'll, yeah. I'll dip my toe in this pool and see what happens. Yeah. You know, it's cool. And like, But that's when I first met Dan. But we didn't really bro down too much at that point because he was kind of doing his thing super deep in the game with getting his degree and, you know, off doing shows. The people I initially connected with were Alan Mozek, uh, who is an amazing, awesome writer, and then Mike Yuniro, great painter, Mm. artist. And, uh, you know, they were part of the kind of the proto Wham City crew before Wham City became Wham City at SUNY Purchase. And, yeah, I would hang out with those guys and they would, you know— they would pop on like White House or like uh, Current 93 or something. And I'd be like, what the heck is this? This is crazy. And then we'd watch like these David Bowie videos, like jokingly like, man, Bowie's so ridiculous. Watch out. Let's, let's watch everything he ever made. He's such a clown. <laughs> let's listen to every one of his albums. And eventually we ended up just becoming obsessed with Bowie. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And you know that one, you know, that escalated, obviously. <laughs> but yeah, that's the whole kind of initial purchase, you know, Wham yeah. City connection. Yeah. I moved to, the day after graduation. I got in a train and I moved to Baltimore with one suitcase, hmm. and uh, and uh, now I have many suitcases, and I'm very happy. Goodbye, height. No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> Well, what, what was the like inspiration to move to Baltimore? The inspiration, you know, like at Purchase, I remember everybody hanging out and talking and being like, you know, hey, we're thinking about moving to Baltimore. Yeah. And I'm like, that's crazy. You know, what's in Baltimore? I never even heard of it. You know, I don't know anything about it. And uh, and I, and I was not ever planning on moving to Baltimore. And yeah. I, I was going up, so I went up to New York City to visit my buddies for a couple of days. Like, yeah, we're hanging out. They're like, we're going to go down to Baltimore. I'm like, oh, I want to hang out in New York, man. You know, I want to see stuff. They're like, no, trust me, trust me, go to Baltimore. So I'm like, they, they, you know, took me kicking and screaming. And my buddy Ray, Roy, we drive down, we get some White Castle, we cruise in, roll up to the copycat at about two in the morning. And, uh, you know, we go in there and I'm like, man, this is like a cyberpunk film or like, you know, like Mad Max or something. I'm like, this is crazy. You know, it's yeah. so weird. Like, and it was all these, like, nerds hanging out at a dance party where it was, like, just nerds listening to, like, They Might Be Giants. And I'm like, this is crazy. It's, like, a bunch of nerds that, and no one's giving us wedgies and we're listening to They Might Be Giants <laughs> and we're dancing. And, like, yeah. there's this tall guy, Connor, with glasses. He's awesome. And, like, <laughs> and now we're listening to some Talking Heads and some Michael Jackson, like, some Madonna. Cool. It's You know, it was, like, I didn't have that in upstate New York because in upstate New York, everyone's so afraid of being weird that, like, in, they don't go out of their way to, like, you know, form those little, like, and they need to. Like, I, I just hope that happens more. But, like, people don't go out of their way in those types of situations to form those little, like, groups, you know, that you attach to and connect yeah. with. Like, we don't have that up there. 
And, um, but it's called call to arms if you're listening from upstate New York. But no, um, and, I, and I fell in love with it, you know, and, uh, and I'm like, man, you know. So I go back up to New York, and I was just like, like man, Baltimore's pretty cool. You know, it's like cool place, you know. But then the thing that really put me over the top was I went, it was one night, I went and saw the show in Buffalo. And uh, it was Dan, Dan Deacon, and also you. Uh, it was uh, you and Mickey. Oh yeah, hi, yeah, yeah, hi, yeah, Mickey, yeah. and and y'all played for like two people, and you you guys all put on like the greatest show I'd ever seen. It was like you were playing like you were in Shea Stadium, <laughs> and like you guys were all just like so pumped, and you had like the shaved head, and you were like, t- and then Mickey did that thing where uh, he talked about homophobia and like how <laughs> he was in the gas station and the guy made some gay remark, and then he was just like, and I'm like, these guys are so cool, man. Like they're talking about issues, they're up there like heights like cracking jokes, but rapping solid as heck. And then like Dan gets up there and does this crazy thing, and he runs outside, and he's got all these little lights and weird things happening. And there was like two like raver dudes with like glow sticks just chilling, looking right, at the right. ground. And then by the end of it, they were like, yeah. And I'm like, I gotta move to the place where that's happening, like because it was the first time where I saw somebody in action making it happen. Where I'm like, wow, this guy's. Like you and, you know, you and Dan were on tour and Dan was just eating cans of beans, you know? And I was like, hey, let me buy you breakfast, you know? And like, yeah. I felt, I felt, I was like, hey man, you know, like when you, when you get, you know, when you get big, just uh, return the favor. And he's <laughs> bought me a couple meals of Kumari. He's a good guy. Nice. But you know, but that was honestly, that show was a pivotal point for me. And that was like, man, like these guys are doing it. It was kind of probably like for some people seeing the Minutemen back in the day or like, what's going do, you know? <laughs> it was just like, it was really moving. And um, I bought my ticket like the next day to Baltimore and to go and I, I like you know buy it ahead of time to save money. And yeah. then I graduated. Literally, I walked off, the, got my diploma, walked off the stage, walked onto the train. I remember, and I was in such a hurry that I left a bunch of my clothes at the laundromat. Like I was, I had this job working for this company. It was called Internet TV or something. It was this website that like dive bombed after like five months. They just tried to like do yeah. this thing where they had TV on the internet, and you know who who'd have thought that would work, you know? But anyways, <laughs> like the company went to funk, but they gave me like like five hundred T-shirts to like distribute, and I never distributed them, so I just wear them every day. And I couldn't, and, and my landlady's like, you better get these out of here. And I'm like, well, you know, I don't, uh, you know, you could use this. Like, I don't need these. Get rid of them. They're garbage. You're giving me garbage. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. And she had this crazy dog that would try to attack me. Um, but anyways, like, so I had all these t-shirts. I'm like, oh, and then I was like trying to get my friends. Like, we don't want them to do this. Shirts suck. And I'm like, come on, man. So then I go, <laughs> I go to the laundromat. And, uh, and I'm like, oh, I'll wash them. And then I'll maybe forget to pick them up later. And then I just, I, I feel so bad about that. And if you're listening, laundromat, I will, uh, I will never pay you back because I have no money, but I will, you know, maybe I'll come up there. I'll make you some sauce, you know, cause I make sauce. I do a pop-up restaurant. Yeah. I do. I'm Italian, you know, we, uh, <laughs> you know, we love, we leave laundry, you know? No, but I mean, I, I felt so bad about that. They don't give a shit. They don't, they don't care. They probably yeah. just chucked it out. Right. Yeah, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm a good guy. I'm a good man. And like, speaking of good man, one time Height and I were on tour and I, I stole a donut and then Height was like, you shouldn't do that. It's not cool. And then I went back and paid for it. He's a good man. What? I don't remember that. No, right? it was like, okay, so we were, we were at like a Safeway or something and we were grabbing some odds and ends and I paid for that stuff. But then I was like, ah, I got this donut. I'm going to slide that in my pocket, you know? And then we're in the car and we're like, oh, oh, you got a donut. Oh, cool, man. <laughs> uh, like, where did, uh, where did you, uh, where did you get that donut? And I was like, oh, you know, I got it at Safeway. Like, oh man, did, did you like... Uh, I mean, my bad. I mean, and, and tell me if I'm out of line. But uh, did you uh, did you pay for it? And I was like, uh, uh, no. And then I felt so bad because I'm like, oh, 
the 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 thought of me disappointing you because I like you know I looked up to you right? and I still and I, I didn't mean I looked like in past I still look up like I used to look up to you and like then 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 you started bootlegging alcohol no he doesn't do that no but uh no but I mean I look up to you and like you know it would like right now if you like were mad at me about it, I, mean, I would want to rectify it because like you know you're a great guy and you know look and I was like height I think I'm a bad guy you know that's no not way. good he, th- he thinks I'm one of the thinks I'm part of the one percent. <laughs> no, but um, so I went back there and I was like, "Hey, I just want to let you know, I just, I just came here, I got a donut, I should have paid for it." And here's, a, it's like, "What are you talking?" So she's like, "Just take it." The lady, <laughs> the lady was like, "This is weirder than if you stole it. Like this thing that's happening now sucks so much more." <laughs> for but the anyways. record, I don't think I was trying to. Judge oh no no no! Oh right. yeah no! But but I think it was just kind of like, "Oh hey man, like you're like I feel like." It's a bad look. <laughs> Did I say that? It was yeah, no, no, you said it was a bad look, and I was just like immediately I felt like two inches tall, like, oh no. I'm like I'm like, here's like a great man telling me and I'm like, this is this is and then like from that that was the last time I ever stole anything, man. And you can thank height. that's one less thief society has to deal with because of height. <laughs> Judge Keach, vote for him this fall. He's the, a man for the nineties or the two thousands, whatever we're in. God, I can't stop making these. Now I'm dating myself. Oh yeah, yeah. Let me get to third base. Ooh, sorry. But like, <laughs> okay. As you come to Baltimore, like, like, do you? What are you aiming to do? Oh, uh, like now? No, mm. no. Like uh, when? Now you... just pay my rent. You know, <laughs> got to buy these fish sticks. No, um. But anyways, <laughs> no, no. I uh, put it all together. You know, man. But uh, but no, no, no. When I first moved to Baltimore, uh, I wanted to do music. So I, as soon as I got off the train, I um, Liz King let me crash at her place, and I was like sleeping in a bunk there. Mm. She was super cool, and like that was a big help for me that she you know hooked me up with that situation. Big shout out to Liz King, awesome person. Yeah. And um, and anyways, like yeah. So as soon as I got off the train, I was like sitting in the the kind of living room zone, and I was just like gotta start writing these songs. And I was just like I was immediately inspired by everything around me. I was just like oh, this is. This copycat's so wacky, it's crazy, man. Cause I, I was living, I was renting a room in a woman's house, going to college in some weird, like, you know, backcountry town. And then all of a sudden I'm in this Rust Belt city and it's crazy. It's awesome. And yeah. there's all these crazy kids going around with with like septum piercings and there's like black lights. No, there wasn't any of that. But you know what <laughs> I mean? But there's just like, you know, I was like, you know, Alan and Dan and Ben Fergal, and like they were just making this weird film and Jimmy Joe Roche was doing some performance art. And I'm like, wow, these guys are amazing. It's just so cool. And Dina, and like it was such good energy, and I like, immediately started writing tunes. And um, I got, I found this uh, metal, a big, tall kind of vertical metal CD rack that was about three feet high. And I, um, I remember I, I started, for some reason, I'm like, I'm going to start wailing on this and singing. I'm going to be like one of the weird guys. Like, cause I, I was like a normal guy trying to be weird. But what's, what's really weird is I was probably weirder than the people that were weird, but just didn't realize how to be weird yet. Mm. I didn't realize how to let the, the weird flower blossom, you know? So I was, uh, so I got this metal CD, ra- CD rack, I put a contact mic on it, and I'm like, I'll play this, you know, and I got like some broken scissors, and I'm tapping on that, and you know, it was one of those things where sometimes it was good, but when it was bad, it was a bad, you know, and I had a band with like uh, uh, April and Josh, uh, April Camlin and Josh Kebblerman, April was playing the saw, and then Josh was playing a ukulele, oh, so okay. it's me banging on a metal CD rack with a contact mic, you know, could think of anything more pretentious, you know, but you know, it was kind of like some songs, like the kind of songs I do now, but me being like, and then and the contact mic would always fall off and it would like fall apart and like and I remember one time I'm driving back from one of these shows with Kevin O'Mara and he's like dude you uh you gotta practice man and he was just like you can't you can't play shows like with this thing that's falling apart all the time like just he was, he was just like just get a drum or something and I was like that's crazy talk or something you know and I was like <laughs> and then I um years later I ended up getting that drum because I was on tour with Teeth Mountain and then 
one night somebody left one of the floor toms out and I was doing my stand-up routine and I'm like, maybe I'll bang on the drum. And then it kind of escalated from there. But mm. going back, we were talking yeah, about, yeah. um, sorry, uh. Oh, no, no. Just, yeah, yeah what you were trying to do. What I was were, trying to do. Yeah. yeah, when I first moved here, yeah, I was trying to be like singer-songwriter and like, but. You know, no, I think everyone thought I was kind of like a pompous windbag and I was kind of pretentious and like, you know, the stuff I was doing was kind of like derivative of like Joy Division. I think I, it just wasn't gelling with me in the music. And I was just like, man, people aren't feeling this. I'm not even feeling it, whatever. And one night I'm at a bar with Dan and he's like, uh, and I was like cracking some jokes. And I, and I was, uh, I just watched David Letterman and I was like repeating the monologue. And he's like, you know what? You should do a talk show. I was like, a talk show? Like, what are you talking about? You're crazy, Dan. He's like, no, man. Like, you know, you got the gift for gab. You like to talk. Uh, you know, you're kind of idiosyncratic. I think it would be really good. And I was like, yeah, maybe. That sounds cool. Like, let's get another beer, you know? And then like two months later or a month later, I'm like sitting in my room and I get this email and it's this band called the Parenthetical Girls. They're like, hey, Dan, set up oh, the yeah. talk show thing. We're going to come into town and I guess we're going to be on your talk show. I'm like, I don't have a talk show. I'm like, oh God, that talk at the bar. Like, he thinks <laughs> this is real. And then they're like, yeah, we'll be in town like in two days. And I'm like, okay, well, I got to do this because they're expecting this to happen and they yeah. need a show. So, oh man, I put that thing together at the last minute, just, you know, by the, by the grace of God, you know, spitballing it. And, uh, I interviewed Jason Urich and, uh, and we did a whole, you know, we did a whole funny routine, Jimmy Joe Roche. Uh, I think he came on and Jimmy Joe was always somebody that helped me out. Like he gave me my first show in Baltimore. Good guy. You know, and that's the thing with Baltimore. You don't get in other places is that people want to help you like New York. You know, I mean, I love New York, but nobody's going out of their way to help you there. You know, it's yeah. like, unless you're paying them the right kind of money. Um, but, uh, so I did the talk show and I'm like, this feels pretty good. And then yeah. from that point on, the talk show thing was happening for about another year and a half. And that was kind of like who I was. But then it came a point where I realized like there's other aspects of myself that I wanted to express that I didn't feel like I could express with the talk show. And yeah. I felt like I still had that urge to do music. And, and the people around me were like, why music? Why do you want to do music? And I'm like, no, no, I think I got it, man. I got it. I just, mm. just got to hit it right. You know? And I'm like, so, but I, this was around the time where I was touring and doing stand-up. And, like, I went on that tour with Teeth Mountain, and I'm doing stand-up. I'm opening for them, you know. Oh, I had no idea. That's yeah, doing, what you like, were doing? Yeah, cracking jokes and oh. stuff and putting on a fake mustache and all that routine. Like, oh, my God, how you doing, everybody? So the other day I went to a Polish restaurant. I got the eggplant parm. She got the Polish sausage. Did I mention I was Polish? Oh, my God. You know, it was stuff like that. So, yeah. um... It, it was like the oh my god guy and like a bunch of other characters, you know, and like so I would go on and I'd do these bits on, uh, and that's a sexist joke. It's disgusting. I, I would not make that type of joke now, and I apologize for making it. <laughs> um, and uh, but yeah, it, it, that's you know that's who I was for a long time was like this talk show guy, and people identified me that way. But I think also people kind of saw me as like I was like Woody Woodpecker or something because they'd be like, Ed Trader Show, what's up, buddy? And like they'd come up to me like I was like a SeaWorld exhibit. Yeah. And I'd be like, hey, how's it going? I'm also human. Like, you know, I'm not some weird, crazy guy. I pay my <laughs> right, taxes. Right, right. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, so it was like I wanted people, not, you know, I guess to take me seriously as like an artist. And I felt like, I felt like people were kind of clowning on me with a talk show. And I felt like sometimes I was getting laughed at more than with, mm. which is you know, good for ratings, but not for your ego. But, you know, and then I think eventually I figured out a way to do the talk show where it was like I wasn't just like buffooning myself. And I was kind of like, you know, separating the character from myself and making it kind of more apparent like, oh, this is a character. I'm not actually insane. Yeah. You know, I'm crazy, but I'm not insane. But anyways, like I felt like with the music, I had more of a more of like a, a, a you know, kind of a canvas that I could express like some, you know, deeper things, perhaps more of the dark side and the more yeah. visceral things that perhaps I couldn't quite figure out how to get across with the comedy yet because I was not really I wasn't really funny and I wasn't actually a comedian and I wasn't doing comedy so but the music you know it's funny music opened me up in a way to where it's actually helped me as a comedian too because I feel like it's opened up those doors 
of perception, man. Yeah. It was just opened me up, you know? And, um, yeah, so from that point on, like I said, so I was on tour with Teeth Mountain. One night they left out of floor, Tom. And I started banging on that thing, and I'm like, this sounds good. And then I started touring, just me and the floor, Tom. As you get this drum and start yeah. writing songs, like, like what were you... Because it's, like, so insanely original, I always oh, thought. Oh, thanks, man. And like, like, like what, Boyd what Rice, you... you know, was doing that, too. But, I mean, like, yeah, he was... Who? Uh, oh, well, there's a guy, um, Boyd Rice, who ended up turning into, like, a weird kind of racist bigot dude. <laughs> I think before he went insane, he kind of had this one video where he's, like, playing one drum and singing. I'm like, oh, that's really cool. And then I found out yeah. all that other stuff, and I'm like, eh, that ain't cool. You know, And uh, but he was, like, this weird kind of crazy dude that did that. And I remember that sticking in my head, and I think that was, like... Oh, he he just has a tom and he's singing. Yeah, you know, and I was like doing some. It was a song called "Total War," and uh, and I remember hearing that and being like, "That's pretty cool," you know, like the aesthetic, not his obviously him. As yeah, a person. Um, just like how people feel about Woody Allen, like his movies uh, didn't make the best personal life decisions. Uh, yeah. But anyways, yes, yeah, so I was like, "Oh, that's interesting. That's an interesting like way to do that." And that was always kind of in the back of my head, and I was like, "Yeah, you know, neat." And that one night, you know, Teeth Mountain, I was on tour with them doing stand-up, and somebody, like I said, left that drum out, and then, like, it all kind of connected. It clicked. And it, it made sense, too, because I was listening to The Swans at the time and, like, Nick Cave, and those were things that were a lot like, God, and you know, and it's yeah. like, it all kind of gelled that I was listening to that stuff and, like, you know, seeing that YouTube Boyd Rice video of him playing the drum before I found out he was a racist. Um, and I stopped listening to stuff because that's not cool. Um, yeah, so it's like... Um, that's kind of where that all gelled and connected. Yeah. yeah. Was your first tour like the Round Robin tour? Like first tour doing music? My first, I think, was my first tour with you? I or think no? that was that was 2009. I think the, Round Robin was 2008. Oh, no, you know, Teeth Mountain. I think Teeth Mountain was the first tour. Okay. And mm-hmm. it was like a month and a half long. Were you playing music or comedy? No, I was doing comedy. Okay, and then by the yeah. end of the tour, I was doing music. You know, oh, okay. that, that tour, tour transformed me into like ah, the thing. Okay. It was really weird. And like, it was a tour where I, you know, made like minus $100 or something. Yeah. You know, and it was crazy and sleeping on floors. And there was like eight people. And like Teeth Mountain, it was like, you know, it was like the Boredoms. It was a huge band. Yeah. You know, so it was kind of like. You know, when you're rolling with a, a crew that big, you roll into the restaurant and it's like, oh my God. You know, like how Round Robin was. Yeah. But, you know, yeah, that's that's where I kind of made that transformation. And then I came home and started writing songs that way. And then for like two years, that's who I was. I was the guy that played the drum and sang right, and right, did right. that thing. And, yeah, and, and like that's how that kind of transformation happened. And at first people were like, I don't know, man. But then I started kind of gelling it and getting it together. And people were like, all right, all right, all right, I like what you're doing. And then when I started like, you know, really get into it and like, you know, getting the reverb on the drum and putting the light in there, which William suggested and Dan, I think that's when it all kind of came together. I had this look, you know, there's a light coming out of the yeah. drum. It's like this goblin thing I'm banging on and there's reverb and it's like, oh, and it's like, it started working, but everyone would always, at the end of every show, someone would be like, dude, you need like a guitarist or a bassist. You need something else. And I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about. Pills before swine, you know, but, you know, but eventually I realized like, you know, maybe they got something. And that's kind of how once again, like, where when I met Devlin, he was living in the house, we thought, well, maybe this works. And Devlin yeah. kind of knew a lot of my songs anyways because he had just been kind of fiddling and hearing the tunes all the time anyways and kind of was like, yeah, I got a bass line for that. Here you go. Boom, 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 you know. Yeah. It's a quick, that, quick well, read. The thing about, like, Ed's solo at that time, it just was like those songs that already, when he asked me to do it, it was like right out. it was, I know I knew the songs from the Round Robin, you yeah. know, seeing it. And then, uh, and I was just like, oh, yeah, those songs are, like, already written. Like, you know, right, so right. it wasn't like, it wasn't, in my, to me, it was just like, I was just playing, because like when you'd see, 
when you see it live, even though it was just a drum and him singing, there was there was something weird. It, like other people have said this too, where just like like your mind kind of filled in the spaces where yeah. like other melodies were were you yeah. know what I mean. So like the stuff that I came up with for like the first stuff, the like the songs that were on Jazz Mind or whatever. Uh, right, right. I felt like we're already written. You know what I mean? In yeah. A, in a way. Well, that's funny because like when I was on the Round Robin tour, it was just me and the drum. Uh, I think the first one, and all of these guitarists from all these bands, like Alex from Beach House and uh, the guy from the Dead Set, they'd be like, "Man, I want to just riff on this, man. Like, here, you ever think of doing like?" They were just like people were dying to play with these songs, yeah. And people were imagining more instruments, but I couldn't like, I'm like I don't have the budget to play with anybody else because like this solo thing's great. I could keep all the money, yeah. yeah. You know, but uh, but then eventually I realized I think I need some instrument. Maybe those guys have a good point, you know. Like, yeah. So there was going to be the show at the club uh, at the Paradox, I think it's called, right, Devin? Yeah. Um, club, yeah. Club Paradox. Club Paradox, yeah. <laughs> and. Um, <laughs> And it was supposed to, so this guy from out of town, he's like, I'm going to book a crazy Dan Deacon show and Dan Deacon's going to play and like, you know, we're going to get a bunch of people to play and it's going to be awesome. And then he forgot to like check with Dan to see if he was actually available. And Dan's like, oh no, I have a, you know, prior obligation. Like I had to go to like a visit, he had like a relative engagement or something like a wedding to go to. Yeah. So Dan couldn't play. So all of a sudden this guy's left holding. He's like, well, uh, I told everybody you were playing, even though you didn't agree to it yet. So then he had a bunch of bands play. It was like us and Dope Body and this one and that one, just like kind of noise bands and stuff. And um, <clears throat> and so like so we're so I get invited to do this thing and I'm like, Devlin, this is gonna be so weird. All these people are coming for a dance party, it's gonna be a bunch of noise bands, it's gonna be like a an S word kind of show, you know what I mean? It's gonna be it's gonna be rough. So I'm like, why don't you just play bass with me? You know, play some do some slap bass, get in the mix with me, you know. Let's just <laughs> let's just clown on these folks, you know. And then we started practicing. We practiced a couple times. I'm like, this actually sounds pretty good, but you know, we'll see how it goes. We played the show, and there was uh, two people dressed like Avatar, juggling fire. We're outdoors. There's all these kind of like raver type people, and I'm like, kind of warper type folks. And I'm like, these guys are gonna kill us. They're gonna hate this. We get up there, and you know, and we do our weird thing, and they go nuts. And I'm like, man, maybe we got something. Okay, so you play this one show, and it's like awesome as a duo. Yeah, yeah. It was. Yeah. It was like we were both. We just turned to each other and like, I think we made it. No, I'm just, <laughs> no. It's like you know, we're getting twenty dollars. We made it. Oh. There was also the thing too at that time, like Ed's show was like he'd do the so he'd be playing a song and then it would just go off somewhere completely different. Right, right, right. And like it, and so that was like what was kind of like really fun. Crazy was to just be able to like we'd start a song and then he'd just start going off and then I would have to follow him. So it was like what everyone at the rave was seeing was just like two, like, I don't know, it was like pretty, like two people figuring it out. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? And it was just, I don't know, it felt pretty natural. And yeah, that was, it was, and I, I signed up to do it just because I was like, yeah, so this will be fun. I haven't been playing music with anybody and, and I've never been to a rave and this is like a famous <laughs> after hours club yeah. in Baltimore and I want to see what this is all about. And it was awesome. If I, Wholly encourage anyone to go to a rave at least once in their yeah. life. Mm. It's, it's go to a cool. real one though, because if you go to a real one, they're pretty awesome. Yeah, mm. sound so, is crazy. Yeah. You want at least five hundred people in that zone. Yeah, then it's like yeah. then it kicks off. And then <laughs> yeah, and then it's just a funny social experiment where you can just wave your fingers around with lights on them and do whatever. I didn't do that, <laughs> but I was you know observing people. Yeah, <laughs> I was having a soft pretzel because there's no alcohol at these things. It's just like soft pretzels and orange juice. Yeah. Really? Yeah, there's there's no booze. Because everyone's on drugs? Right. Yeah, everyone's. That's the thing. And I'm like, man, these guys are all straight edge. And everyone's like, what are you talking about? They're all on drugs. Like, Where are the drugs? <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. But 
like, and, and this would be like that? probably like 2010. Or yeah. I think it was around later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 2010, because it took us about two years to get Jazzmind out. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, and so I guess you guys start working on this record together. Mm-hmm. And is, is it? Are you primarily Ed? Are you primarily like writing the songs, and then you you're like. Well, yeah, for Jazz Mind, I mean, a lot of with the melodies, um, most of or, them I had beforehand. Yeah. yeah, so I would do, like, the lyrics, and then I would, like, yeah, you know, the lyrics and the melody, obviously, I would, you know, kind of, I would, like, throw that together. Um, but, like, you know, as far as, like, a solo, like, I'm not an actual musician in terms of that kind of stuff. So I couldn't, like, I, I couldn't even communicate what I wanted, even if yeah, I knew yeah. it. You know what I mean? And, but Devlin would kind of, I would just say a bunch of kind of inane, weird things. Like, you know, like a little fuzzy, but kind of, and then he'd be like, you mean this? I'm like, yeah, perfect. Yeah. You know, so it was kind of like, that was a really important nexus or just connection for us is having that understanding. And um, yeah, and, 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 and like, that's kind of how it came together for the first album because, but more so with the second album because then we were actually kind of writing songs together. But with the first album, yeah, you know, a lot of those songs had existed. Yeah. On prior, with the exception of a couple that we made towards the end. But, um, but yeah, like, but yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I'll do like, how I do a song is like, I'll sit down and uh, just kind of hum something like, you know, phonetic kind of nonsense lyrics just to fill it in. And then like, Hmm, I guess there could be a solo there. Devlin will figure that out. And then like, all right. And then I'll, uh, here's the second part, third part. And then, Devlin will hear that, you know, flopping that solo and then be like, wait, no, you should. And then be like, maybe sing in a different key. Try this, try that. And then we like fine tune it. Yeah. And then he'll put in the beautiful solo. And then, but yes. sometimes, but sometimes we start off together writing the song from the yeah. ground up too. And that's a real fun experience that I'm like getting back into where I'm like, wow. Cause uh, yeah, that's like, I'd, I'd get uncomfortable sometimes in the past, like with certain musicians, like trying to do that. But Devlin and I know each other so well musically that it's kind of like we can really second guess each other. Yeah. So I feel like comfortable, like, yeah, and messing with that. That's fun. Yeah. Like, when did you guys first go on tour together? It was a February. Uh, it was a cold February. <laughs> I, for some reason, I remember it as being February. But yeah, it was like sh- kind of like shortly after that show. Oh, okay. And then it was something like. Uh, you know, then we kind of we, we were feeling really good about it, and I maybe we played like another Baltimore show. We played a, you know a couple times in Baltimore, and then it was yeah. something where it's like you know because Ed had already been you know he did the tour with you, he did yeah. it on Robin Teeth Mountain, so like he's yeah. he had been touring by himself anyway, and I just wanted to uh, I just wanted to tour you know just to like I mean that was the whole reason why I came to Baltimore yeah. anyway. So it was just like. All right, well, you know, we have something and uh and then also there was also at that time uh it was also like Ed it was talking with Load Records about putting out the first record and so then yeah. that was just like, well, if there's this record coming out and then we're like, you know, so then it was like a long process of trying to figure out how to like record that. We ended up doing it with Twig Harper at his yeah, studio and awesome. Oh, cool. Yeah, and then uh but but yeah, but then we just started just like touring, like like little like two week jaunts, like yeah, you know, down south up into the you know Chicago area, you know. That's um, and then once the record came out, that was like something where we just decided to just like tour as much as we possibly could. I think we did like the states three times in a year, and yeah, yeah, you know, a bunch totally. of stuff like that. Yeah, putting the time in the road. I mean, you know how that is, you know. Yeah, it's like that's a key thing that we learned from Future Islands too, is that you really just gotta put in that time in the road and build a core following of people that you can always like depend on and work with because 
you know, the press comes and goes. The, you know, the media stuff comes and goes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, unless you're like U2 or something or, or Coldplay. But, you know, so it's kind of like you, you want to do it like Jonathan Richmond style and just build slow, you know, and uh, make good work. And that's kind of what we try to do. Yeah. Based on like, you know, because like Future Islands, yeah, they did that for like 10 years, you know. Totally. We just go back to the same cities, hit them up, you know, and figure out what worked, go back to those places. And they would, you know, just keep slowly building this audience so that then when they did hit it, they had that whole group of people backing them up. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? Like, that's, I think, why they're at where they are is because they put in that footwork, like kind of how R.E.M. did back in the day. Like, the, you know, R.E.M. just poured nonstop and just built this following. Yeah. You know? and like, that's the thing you got to do. And there's no quick and easy way around that. You right. Know? People always want the shortcut. They want to, like, move to New York and pay some publicist and, you know, this and that and, you know, be the next strokes. But it's kind of like... That'll help you for a couple months, you know. It's you right. could be Village Voice Artist of the Year, but it might not mean jack squat when you show up to play in Delaware for five people. Yeah, you know, yeah. you got to put in the time on the line. You know, you got to get in there. Uh, and like, are you guys still booking yourselves at this time, um, or like, like we, the, these earlier tours? Or oh, in the, the early tours, yeah, yeah, yeah. We would yeah, book, we'd book that. And like, we're pretty good at booking. Devil, oh, I should say, Devlin's really good at booking. Tight. So it's kind of like you know. He's as good as a booking agent that you're going to find. Yeah. But, you know, we'll occasionally work with a booking person. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. Do that sometimes. I mean, if, like, if we're in Europe, like, I don't know every... I don't know the way of the land there, so we yeah. need help there, you know. And like, like the Czech Republic, I don't know where to play, you know. Here I am. So Jasmine, like, it kind of did make some kind of, like, critical splash, right? Yeah, totally, yeah. yeah. It was it was awesome, really surprising, and I was really happy about it. And yeah. Got a little write-up in, like, Wire Magazine this morning. Oh, nice. But it was like a slow burn, man. I tell you, when it first came out, like for the first, like, seemed like year, it didn't seem like anyone noticed it. But then it seemed like all of a sudden, like a year later, people were like, yeah, man, this album's great. Oh, that's and it's awesome. kind of like what's happening with Party Gel right now, like mm. where we first put it out, a couple cool things happened. That's kind of nice. And uh, we had a publicist that was really helpful and did some great things for us. You know, but it was like, I think it was, we're a weird band, you know, and yeah. these are weird albums. And like they take time for people to adapt to. And, um, but no, I just... It, it seems like the cycle's kind of happening again where like, hey, man, I just heard your album that came out, you know, a year ago. But I think it's because, you know, we don't have the same type of uh, distribution as like a huge band or visibility. It takes time for the word to get out. And, um, yeah. you know, we, we're like a slow burn kind of band. Like people hear us and and uh, or they don't get to hear us right away. But when they do, like, you know, we try I try to hook them in, you know, maybe. Right, or, right, right. More like, you know, they're cooking and then they're they're like the cuff <laughs> of their sleeve, like catches on fire yeah. a little bit. And they're like. Uh, it's not a big deal. Probably just go out and then like you go. Yeah, you you look away. This ever and then you, you look back and they're totally engulfed in flames, <laughs> like <laughs> just trying to like get the skillet. Well, off you know, because people are like, at first I thought you were a goofball, but I listened to the album a couple times. It's pretty good. You know, that's kind yeah, of general yeah. consensus of what we get from people. Thought yeah. you were nuts. I'm like, I am nuts, and thank you. I'm not nuts. Am I? Well, I guess like your guys be is the is the Future Islands tour. That you guys did, would you say that's probably like the biggest tour that you guys have done? Biggest in the sense or of like biggest uh, audience. Oh, um, yeah, it's, yeah, I guess, yeah, 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 yeah totally, yeah. definitely. I wanted to think about that. I've been, I know the round robin tour. There's a couple big crowds, but I mean, I feel like, uh, oh yeah, an opening for Dan, you know, definitely played for some huge crowds. Yeah, uh, too, and just you know, equally as big. Um, but yeah, no, I mean for sure, uh, yeah, playing with those guys like overseas in London and stuff was nuts, and it's like. Uh, it teaches you quickly, you know, that's the good thing about opening for another band. You're there, you're playing for a huge audience that's not there to see you, so you got to step it up quick. Mm. And you got, you know, adapt. You know how that is, you know. Yeah. 
and like Dan's always talked about that, how on the road is where you learn, where you cut, you know, you get cut and like, you, you know, you, you, you learn how to like, you know, get in the zone and do your thing. And then you get back and you play for your own crowd and you're like, you're ready, you know? And like, that's, yeah. that's a priceless lesson that you can't replicate anywhere else, you know? And you gotta, yeah, you gotta get up there and, you know, just get out there and play for like, you know, you're nervous and you feel like you're going to throw up. You know, you just get out there, you do it, and you get through it. And, I mean, I right, feel like right. that for every show. I feel yeah, like yeah. Going to the guillotine or something. I don't know why. But, <laughs> but I love it. It's like, it's half, like, horror, half ecstasy kind of, you know. Yeah. I'm about to play it. I'm like, oh, but then I'm like, all right. It's it's probably how, like, a surfer or a skateboarder feels, you know, man. Yeah. Cool stuff. Maybe more, yeah. Do you feel like you guys, like, mastered, not mastered, but got a <laughs> hold of, like, yeah, like you know, rocking the, a crowd like that. Uh, totally. Yeah, I think we learned how to read a crowd, which is important. You yeah. know, just kind of get in the room, and be like, "All right, this is this kind of show. It's a chatty audience. Okay, we're not going to do a lot of nuanced, talky things. Let's keep it rocking. Okay, yeah. this is a more intimate crowd. Let's you know bring in the MTV Unplugged uh, Eric Clapton stuff <laughs> and uh, put on the funny hats. No, yeah, but bring, bring out the big velvet chair. <laughs> yeah, you learn how to read a crowd. I think that's the biggest thing you learn from that. And um, and that's how I think you learn how to rock crowds, multiple crowds, is that you learn how to kind of listen and respect what they're going for and, like, what kind of... You know, because if you're playing a place and 10 bands have already played, you don't want to get up there and be like, and in 1483, a man... <laughs> you know, like, people want to, okay, play the jams, kick out the jams, get yeah. it over with, you know, and, like, people got stuff to do. But, you know, like I said, you know, you adapt. And, and, yeah. And it was interesting with, like, those those bigger crowds, like, it seeing the difference between, like the states and in europe or like i feel like we we went back to do a european tour and there were like i had a lot of people just being like oh we saw you open with for future islands and that was really great we you were really happy that you came back or in the states it's just like you don't know you, there's it, there's yeah. no real metrics to like yeah figure out if you nuanced. made an impact and then also it's just like the thing that i enjoy about it is that it's like almost like yeah sure there's like I mean, they were selling out places that were like twelve, you know, like twelve hundred cap or something like that. Yeah, and it's like just like so many folks. You're just like, well, this is cool. I mean, just by sheer numbers, we we should be able to like turn on a couple people. Right, right, right. But yeah. then <laughs> you'd think. But then, uh, but but then it's, then it's also just like well, there's just so many of them. Who cares? You know, it's just like it's just, th- th- those those shows always felt like it was just me and Ed on the stage. Totally, and it was just right, fun. And right, so we right. would just say. Insane. We'd things. say really. We'd just be, <laughs> we would just be like, no one. Else. It would be like, there's so many people. It's almost like I'm, no one's here. Yeah, yeah, I'm girl talking. He's beach house and together. We're Dan Deacon or something, or you know, Animal Collective or something yeah. jokey like that. So, you know, I, I definitely there was definitely times like I'm Victoria and that's Alex and we're beach house. Like, because like people like sometimes like we're not even watching or listening. Did not care at all. Like the first couple tours we had a few trials. Like the audience for the most part was like, eh, this is kind of weird. Let's get it on. Once like literally like I would get off the stage and I would hear guys outside be like, when are these guys gonna be done? I want to hear. You know, that's kind of what yeah, the general yeah. vibe was. Totally. You know, so me and Devin were like, what the heck? We're just gonna say whatever we want then. You know, and so we just yeah. started be like, ah, just get on the stage, just like screaming, act crazy. And then actually the, they started digging that. And like I feel like once we just cut loose and we're like, I think we were handling it with kid gloves at first. It's like, oh, this is like an audience that's used to hearing like actual songs and not these like crazy screaming rants. Mm-hmm. You know, they're probably going to think we're nuts. But that's the thing that they like because at the heart of what Future Islands does is Art Lord. And Art Lord was made with a sense of humor and comedy and uh, absurdity. And, you know, so that's at their kind of ethos and their core. So, of course, when we did start kind of like, acting nuts the fans got down with it so right. on, you know these more recent tours of Future Islands like we're just we, we're just our old selves like we're crazy Uncle Ed and they love it and uh, it's fun 
And it's cool too, you know, um, but it's different. In the States, you could open for a band like Future Islands and maybe gain one or two fans in each town per show. In Europe, you gain like 50 new fans in each town for opening for a band. It's totally different. Yeah, so yeah. that was the frustrating thing. We're like, man, we did all these tours with Future Islands. Like, when are these, you know, kids coming out to the show? And we realized there was a disconnect because, you know, Jazz Mind and, you know, what Future Islands were, was doing was just such different things. So obviously it's like, Somebody comes for beef stroganoff, and then you give them, like, uh, you know, a Spam burger, and they're like, well, I wanted beef stroganoff. <laughs> but eventually they're like, the Spam's better. No. <laughs> but, you know, and um, but our more recent material is a little bit more pop, and it's they're like, you know, we're starting to write actual, like, grown adult songs. Uh, so, like, I think that they're actually, the, the audience have been much, much warmer reception of yeah, both ends yeah. this time. And they're like, oh, you guys finally, you figured it out. All right, guys. They, you know, they've been patient with us, you know. So. What, what's your, what's your, was your, like playing on a large large stage like that for an audience like what do you what how do you handle it Dan I don't know I feel like I didn't I never really figured out like how to do my set to make to to yeah. play a crowd like that you know what I mean Yeah Specifically like the rap thing I think like I I never figured out how to make like a crowd full of people that like don't Want to hear rap? Yeah, like, <laughs> like, listen like say to heck no to techno. Rap is crap. No, no. <laughs> yeah. I no. don't know. Like, like I, I, I never figured out how to do that without being like a cornball. Right. Yeah. Like I feel like there's ways to like. Hey everybody, I know you came to see some future islands, but my name is Hyde. <laughs> we're gonna rock all night. Time to rap. <laughs> like you know, it's like. But H to the E to the Because I think it's one thing I I've noticed with like. Like you guys, and also Dan, and like Future Islands is like, is like, no matter the size of the crowd, I think you you all like can know how to connect with people. You know what I mean? Well, I I, sometimes I still think I'm trying to like figure that out or something. Well, you know? You know what I mean? For me, I think it was probably I grew up. I was like the youngest in a family of like you know essentially seven because it's stepsisters and brothers, and uh, just. Ne the constant need to be noticed or the constant desire to be noticed. I think that's kind of like the thing that comes out. I'm like, I got to get these guys to like me. I got to mm. get everyone to become my best friend. I'm going to yeah. tell some jokes, you know, and I think that's at the core of that kind of, but, you know, all mm. joking aside, like, I think, and that's some, some sincerity there too, but uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, I also, I think when I get nervous, you know, when I'm like, oh, back's against the wall, that's when I start using kind of like the, the jokes and the kind of witty stuff as almost like a defense mechanism, really, mm. but it works, you know, that works in entertainment, you know? Oh, yeah. And uh, like, so that's why when a crowd is totally down and I'm like, all right, all right, I'm just going to act insane now because like I'm used to this situation, you know, I've, it, it's funny, I had to learn to get used to like people actually being down because most of the time for the first two years when I was playing, like 90% of the time people would be like, what the heck is this? And why? Right, know, right. This right. guy's crazy. But then like, you know, there'd be a few shows where people would be like, yeah, man, that's awesome. I'm like, oh, okay, thanks. Uh, but n now I've gotten more, you know, like cool with like different situations and I can kind of jam that way. Like, yeah. So when I have those three shows a year where people like it, it's amazing. <laughs> well, I think that with like connecting with audiences, though, with like at least with those three examples. Yeah. And I don't know how to, I mean, it, I think one of the only, one of the things is that like Dan talks to the audience, like we talk to the audience, right. and Sam doesn't really say much to the audience, but, but that works. It, but him. his songs are so yeah. open, and I, I feel like that's like a thing too, where like uh, you know a lot of a lot of folks, especially if we found this out like on kind of like every opening, every time we like open for a larger band, like 
well, I mean, you know, that's parenthetical, but you know, they, uh, uh, it's like, that was like something that was really disarming for the crowd. Like people coming up just being like, we never like, they're not even just like being a total goofball, but just like, you know, there's a thing. If you watch, if you watch like bands and they, they don't really say much to the crowd other than like, thanks for coming out. Yeah. Here's the next song. We got stuff in the back when it's just like, because I always think about the first time I saw King Diamond, like he's my he's my my absolute favorite yeah. dude, and he, I was just like this front row holding onto the barrier, like crying, like oh my god, it's him. This is so yeah. crazy. So he's playing all my favorite songs, and uh, and then like he, the only thing he said the whole entire show is just like, "How you doing tonight?" Mm. And then people were like, ah, "Good." <laughs> <laughs> That's Next awesome. song, you know, yeah. and it's like, like that's all you're gonna give me. Like, I still love you, but oh, that sucks. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, like, and and I feel like that's like a, and maybe like because you know you just have to feel it out. Sometimes like we just don't, you know, some people don't want to hear us yapping, so we just whatever. But like when we right. have the shows that work, or the shows that you always feel like, you know, that like king of the world <laughs> feeling. Yeah. It's you know, like when you're able to like when you when you're I for us at least or for me my the way I see it is is like you know when we're able to like have like a back and forth with the crowd not like heckling but like you know we're able to talk they're laughing like you can see them like really like watching you like yeah. engage. Um and so I, I feel like a lot of performers don't really take advantage of like the fact that like you have a whole room of people like looking at you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And not like you have to stump about politics or, you know, how to cook a turkey or whatever. Right, but like, right. you know, just Yeah. Sh- like just be like, "Hey, you know, like I'm a person to, you're like like the personal be a present, being yeah. emotionally present." Yeah. yeah, having like having them to like, maybe even give them a sense that like they, they I I like they know you in some way, yeah. Which is, I feel like Dan's shows definitely like that, right? Our right, shows right. like that, you know. Yeah, and it's different for each person, and it's like a different journey. Like you know, I I went, you know, I started doing music in 1995, and it's only recently that I figured out my formula. And it just right, it right, takes right. time. It's different for everyone, and like yeah, yeah. I was in plenty of horrible bands, <laughs> like one's called Jefferson's Cabinet. No, they're weird. <laughs> I was I was in a couple bands. Which I was in this like new metal band. We had like oh, ninety shit. practices in one show where like the drum collapsed, like the, his whole drum set fell apart. The guy that was playing drums, <laughs> and then he was, and then Andy's guitar strap broke off, and <laughs> and then my mic kept thing kept falling out, and yeah, it was just a nightmare. And we were playing at this like cafe in Syracuse, and people, yeah, the two people that were there were booing us. <laughs> Uh, I mean, you know, a thousand people booing you is much better than two people in an empty room booing at you. Yeah. Because a thousand people, you can be like, oh, it's white noise. But uh, (laughs) two guys in a room, man. Scary stuff. Yeah, I I guess, like, a lot of it probably comes down to also, like, just taking risks, you know? Like, 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 talking to the crowd in a way that's not, like... Make some noise, yeah. like well, is yeah. like it makes you vulnerable, I guess. You know what I mean. But I could, yeah. but in a good way, I guess. Like yeah. in a way that helps people connect or something. Yeah, totally. It's just you, you know, kind of like being. I always try to be like that goofy uncle that everybody wants to hang out with at the reunions. I'm like, oh, let me get away from the family. Like, oh, there's Uncle Ed. Let's go have a, let's go yeah. have a smoke with Uncle Ed. You know, have a couple of drinks. You know, it's like that. I try to be that guy. It's like, hey, you know, like don't take everything so seriously. It's you know, we're all, don't worry about, you know, your clothes and this and that. Yeah. And, well, you know, if the, anyone's looking at you and, like, you know, 
It's, you know, because a lot of these shows I'm playing for, like, people between the ages of, like, you know, 17 and 28 or something. And, like, your your brain is so consumed with the most, like, stupid things at that point. And you just don't realize you're older. Like, man, I should have just been enjoying my life. What mm. the heck? And it's, my whole thing is I try to, like, disseminate that kind of knowledge. Yeah. And be like, yo, man, just life's a bunch of BS, man. Do whatever you want. Taking care of business, you know. <laughs> but, you know, just like, hey, man, have fun. Like, don't. Don't take these guys so seriously, man. Not, not like the band's playing after us, but just like don't don't worry about this stuff, man. Let's have yeah. fun, you know. Just let's chill, let's get through it. You yeah, know? get out there and fight, but have a good sense of humor about it, you know. Get through it, you know, and like whatever it takes. So, so you guys got this new album? Um, yeah, yeah. Party Jail is the most recent thing we put out, and that came out last. Uh, I want to say was it March or April? May. May. My bad. <laughs> yeah. One of the M months. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that came out in May, and um, that we recorded actually in Providence um, at this place called Machines with Magnets, and it was a blast. Like, mm. we had Jeremy Hyman playing drums on uh, oh, say most yeah. of the songs, actually. And it was so much fun because we're all buddies, and we all kind of hang out anyways. And, like, we were just down there. We had the studio for three days, and we're going out to the diner. We're jamming, playing, you know, hanging out afterwards, doing some recreational stuff, watching TV, you know, just like, it K- was just like, you know. Nightmares. Yeah, it was fun watching <laughs> Kitchen Nightmares. You know, yeah, so we'd be like, let's cut a few tracks, let's get a pizza, cool, you know, and it felt so at home, and I finally got to the point where I feel comfortable in the studio for a long time, that was a huge issue for me, but now I'm just like, yeah, man, cool, it's just, in, you know, it's just the way you gotta get past that, and yeah. you gotta do it, and, um, but yeah, Party Jail, Party Jail is a little bit more pop, I'd say, than Jazz Mind, and more kind of, like, uh, you know, singer-songwriter kind of stuff, maybe, or like, you know, full songs, like, whereas Jazz Mind were, were kind of like these, like, um, you know, kind of fragments and different ideas and concepts. And that worked for that album. Like, everything on that album worked for that album. And that was like a snapshot, like a photo album, you know, of the time, an album, of where we were at. And I think that this Party Jail kind of collects, you know, who we are now. And I think we've gotten a little tighter on the road. We've, you know, kind of gelled as musicians together. And uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I'm like, you know, been listening to Squeeze and Elvis Costello, and I'm like, I want to write some tunes like those guys, man, you know. Um, And, you know, I think I... Kind of try to shoot for something there in, yeah. in that zone, you know. Well, yeah, well, yeah, it's like a super. The set you guys have now is like super diverse. I feel like you yeah, got these, it, these it, like melodic ballads and with a couple stuff of Billy like Joel that. songs in there every now yeah. and then. Ellen John for good measure. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh, for the folks that haven't seen my set live, occasionally what I'll do between songs, you know, to kind of spice things up, is I'll be like, "Can you feel the love tonight?" You know, and then be like, uh, "Listen, boy, I don't want to see you let a good thing slip away, Billy Joel." <laughs> do some Blue Reed, Satellite of Love, you know, and, and it's kind of like, and it keeps it so that people say I can laugh at myself. It's kind of fun. It's like karaoke. We're joking yeah. around, but then we do our songs, you know. So. I feel like that's one of those kind of spices you can add to the mix, you know? Yeah. I, I remember I did that for, like, one show, and people really liked it, so I'm like, oh, maybe I'll do that again. I do that, like, every show now, and it's fun. And it kind of keeps me connected with the music because it reminds me of why I got into music. I yeah. loved, you know, I remember listening to, like, 52nd Street on a cassette tape over and over when I was, like, nine years old and just trying to be like Billy, you know, and just, like, doing the moves in my yeah. basement room, you know? <laughs> but, like, uh, which, I, which I had some of that on tape, man. YouTube, watch out. <laughs> I I think you should bring back the King of the Road. King of the Road. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Trailers. I was almost going to do that last night. Yeah, Roger Miller. That's a great one. R.E.M. actually used to throw that in the mix back in the early shows. Oh, tight. Yeah, but, but, you know, Party Jail was, I think, the product of two guys that have been touring together for, like, three years. And, like, and I feel like you can hear that evolution. And Jazz Mind is beautiful in its own way, but I think Party Jail is beautiful in its own way, too, and they're very different animals. Yeah. 
you know, it's kind of like, if you like Murmur, you also like Reckoning. Different albums? No. I don't want to compare myself to the greats. But you know, yeah, they're just different <laughs> things. It's like Frasier and Seinfeld. You know, like the first album was like Seinfeld. New one's like Frasier. More nuanced, yeah. deeper. No, the, Frasier's not deeper than Seinfeld, we know. <laughs> they're, 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 but I'm saying they're equally cool, different ways. Yeah. And Party Joe, I think, has more of a sense of humor to it, where the first album was like doom and gloom. But there was still some like kind of like sense of humor in it. But with Party Joe, we're kind of like... Yeah, man, we went on the road. It's really weird. Like, everything's kind of nuts. Here's some songs about it, you know? Yeah. So, like, you know, I'm, like, life's getting really strange. I'm getting older and all this crazy stuff's happening. And, like, uh, you know, and it's, like, uh, kind of like, you know, party gel. Essentially, it's about, you know, being on the road and being in these situations where you just want to go cuddle up and watch Netflix and, like, get stoned. And, like, somebody wants you to just, like, yo, man, come over to my house. You know, we're going to... Gonna snort some horse tranquilizers and watch Dr. Katz <laughs> and stay up till 5 a.m. And it's like, I just want to go to, you know, because when you're on tour and you come to town, you're the thing happening that week. So it's like yeah. every, every single night and you can't, you know, and, uh, you know, laughing's kind of about that. You know, she's only laughing every night. It's kind of about, you know, like the early 20s irony and the scene and people being kind of detached from their, their physical selves and kind of living in this like world of art, but not like really attached to reality. And like, mm. like you know, she's only haunted by a seahorse. It's just like, we're kind of like, like the problems and the things that we build up in those early times is like so minuscule when you look at like, you know, everything that comes later on in life. And, but at the time when you are that age, those things are real. Yeah. You know, and that's what laughing's about. You know what I mean? And like, that's an example of party jail. And like, you know, signs is about the New York scene and uh party jail is about the horse tranquilizers, you know? So it's about, yeah. it's about mine and Devlin's experiences on the road, you know? Yeah. Just, yeah. Probably Devlin would probably agree uh, life experiences too, that we both, you know, and it's like, you know, and I've had some intense stuff happen in the past year, but I guess that hasn't really made it into the album mm. yet. You know, maybe viscerally in a deep way or something, because it was happening around the time when I recorded. My stepdad had passed away, and like, oh. you know, and that was an intense yeah. thing, you know. And um, But I don't think, I think when something like that happens, it takes you time to really uh, assess it and re reconceptualize it. You know, look at it in retrospect. Like, you know, I'm not going to put out an album yeah being like my stepdad was cool and now he's gone you know yeah like but i think i probably will in like maybe like three years or so you know that'll leak that'll that'll you know come into the mix it'll be like yeah a, you know because it's like um you know it's something that happens to you but it's something that happens to like you know uh and it's you know and i find mostly like the stuff that i was writing about for jasmine and you know in, in right up into party jail a lot of it, it's like scene politics, actual politics, stuff I'm frustrated about, um, you know, Baltimore City Hall, city schools, you know, messing up, not taking care of the children of the city that need help more than anybody. Mm -hmm. People dropping the ball on these kids when they need so much. Closing community centers, like how frustrating is that? You know, and that's what, you know, like sermons about that, you know, and like, but also there's songs too that are just kind of like more like goofy, abstract, just kind of physical songs because sometimes... You can't be Zach De La Rocha all the time, you know, man. You can't be a yeah. John Lydon. You know, sometimes you just got to shut your brain off and groove, you know. And right, right, we got right. some songs like that too, man. You know, yeah, totally. I think Party Jail is about having that fun mixed with the politics. And, you know, and Philip, like Party Jail is kind of a play on like the filibustering thing too a little bit, you know, because it wasn't at first, but I thought I could just say that. Oh, like, yeah. And I remember when Nolan was designing the album, I'm like, why don't we have like the Republican donkey and the elephant thing in the back? He's like, no way, dude. <laughs> He's like, what are you talking about? Like, we already got the design. They're like, that's crazy. Like, what do you think? What do you think? The dead Kennedys? I'm like, you know. Or so, you know, he was kind of like, nah, dude, I ain't having it. I think he made the right choice. He made the right choice, man. He made the right choice. <laughs> Otherwise, I would be going around giving lectures. No. <laughs> oh, man. So, do you guys have like tour plans on the horizon? Yeah, we got, uh, we, 
We got a end of, end of February. We got like a two week tour, just like down south up to Chicago, and just that kind of like familiar. Yeah, oh, then, Chicago, uh, good stuff, Boston. Yeah, and then we got a. We'll try to we're we're you know trying to write the next record. Hopefully, try to get it out for the fall. Tight. But that's yeah. a, that's a, you know set a goal. Set a goal. Yeah, you know, throw yeah. the head over the wall. And the then Irish uh, proverb. Yeah. Then another full U.S. tour in the spring. Probably awesome. some here and there touring in the summer and then Europe again in the fall, probably. Yeah, just keeping the momentum going, you know. I figure, like, uh, just, you know, I mean, you know, I'm 30, going to be 36 soon, you know, and my, you know, and my girlfriend and I are talking eventually about, you know, family and bigger things down the road. And I'm like, well, I need to kick it into high gear if I'm thinking about that kind of stuff, you know. Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, think about this future, like, so if I'm going to do this music thing, I got to cop it for, you know, I got to do it for real. And, like, you know, hopefully that change up happens where it's like, Going from thing that kind of pays the bills to thing that actually pays the bills, and I can save some money, you know. It's yeah, like, yeah. And that's the thing between tourism, cobbling stuff together, and hustling. I got all these side hustles like my pop up restaurant, you know, the cartoon, this and that. Yeah. And you know, and, and like it's stuff that I enjoy and doing the t shirts and stuff. But it's like at the same time, um, uh, you know, it would be good to kind of like, you know, those things I kind of do in the nature of fun. Yeah. And I'd like to focus on like the main things, you know, like yeah. the music and the cartoon and. You know, like doing that. But I'll still do the Cats and the Lake shirts, man, you know? Yeah. That's fun stuff. But I mean, I honestly, I also do those things because I my brain can't handle being one thing and I just like to do 900 things. And like, I'll keep doing that even if I make money. It's like, I'll, I love doing the pop-up restaurant. I love making my goofy Cats and the Lake shirts. I love um, doing a family affair, you know, the cartoon that I do. And it's like, but, it, it, you know, it's like, you get to this point where it's like, oh, these things all need to make money real quick or I can't do that. Right, right. You know, yeah. and you're like, oh, God, now I got to go work, get a restaurant job. Now you're like, okay, I better get back on the road. It's just this, like, cycle. And, yeah. you know, so we're hoping, man, you know, just David Letterman, call us up. Get us on the, you know, but, you know, this, and it's building and, like, you know, things have been getting better, but it's kind of like, uh, yeah, I'm at that kind of pivotal age where I'm like, hey, you know, do, do something or get off the pot, you know, so now right, we're, right. we're trying to do something, you know. And, and also artistically, I'm ready to say it, too, you know. I'm not just doing it for the money, but you know what I mean? I'm saying like it's simultaneously being like, you know, this is the creative part of my life. You know, this is the time when you do your thing. And then also it happens to be the time that I need to like, you know, pay that BG&E bill. So yeah, let's put it all together. Tight. You know, and a lot of musicians won't talk about that. A lot of people look down on that talking about the money thing and like coming from a noise punk background, hanging out with those dudes. It's like, you know, that's not what it's always about. But a lot of those dudes have trust funds, so they don't have to worry about it. Exactly. But you know what I'm saying? So it's like, I'm a working class musician. Like I don't have anybody backing me up. I can't put out like a nonsense electronic album and then go crash on my mom's couch for two months. Like, yeah. I, I got to make something that means something and pay my bills, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. Can't waste people's time. You know, and I come from, you know, I don't have money. And, like, so I'm always $1 away from, you know, being homeless, you know? So it's like I'm, yeah. I'm cobbling it together and hustling, you know, being on the road. But, man, I think this year might be good, you know? We'll see. And if Absolutely. not, you know, I'm still going to be doing it. Hey, yeah. I do it for I do it for meal money, you know what I mean? And, like, as long as I got a roof over my head, I'm happy and you got to know when you're blessed, man, because like, wow, that's like just to be able to do what you love and to be healthy and to be able to hang out with cool, awesome people in each city and eat, eat sick burgers every night. Not every night. My girlfriend's <laughs> listening. You know, and just try different foods and just be able to see the world and travel. It's a blessing. And like, if you can just do that, man, I feel like you kind of made it anyways. Yeah. You know? Oh, you know? I totally agree. Like, man, you've been doing it for like a, 10 years. And like, you know what? It's like. It's like you're doing your thing. You know? yeah. I'm doing my thing. Like, hey, I'm not, I'm not on the cover of some magazine, but I'm happy. You know? Yeah, and, totally. And, and I want it. You know, I want to be famous, but hey, man, I'm happy. And like, you, when, when serious things happen in life, you realize what things are important. And you realize as life goes on and you see all 
you know, you see realize how fragile life is, you realize you got to appreciate and stand back and be like, hey, man. Like last night we played in Philly. It was like 50 kids, man, but I felt like a million bucks. You know, they were oh, singing yeah. the songs. We were having a blast. And, you know, when I got a burger with my butt, I keep talking about burgers, man. I'm talking <laughs> about this. I'm hanging out with the hype, man. We had, we had three burgers before we got on the mics. Yeah, we went That's to this right. place uh, called Sketch. Oh, yeah. Uh, we went to this place yesterday <laughs> called Sketch Burger in Philly. And you go in there and you draw pictures and they'll put them on the wall. Best burger in Philly. Check it out. Yes. Yeah, and uh, Guy Fiore is coming up next. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, cool. I guess that'd be Dude, a good Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, Anytime you want to do this again, man. Part awesome, two, man. do a trilogy. Yeah, we should. Yeah, trilogy. Trilogy. <laughs> Dude, thanks so much, man. And, you know, you're a huge inspiration. One of the main reasons I, you know, ended up moving here. And you're nice. awesome. <laughs> Love what you do. Keep it going, brother. Look what you did, Dan. <laughs> yeah, man. And let us crash in your couch and you can become famous and live in L.A. and stuff. Because you know? <laughs> we're going to need it. <laughs> Anybody out there, if you got a couch. Yeah, <laughs> please. Just send us pictures of your couches. <laughs> send us pictures of your couches. No, but seriously, keep it underground. Thanks, dude. Cheers. <laughs> All right. Thanks again to Ed and Devlin for making it happen. And we'll see you next week.